welcome to Dirty Harry Minute. My name is John and it's 2022 and we've been called out of hibernation by me to review the Indian Dirty Harry remake, rip-off, homage, whatever you call it, from 1973, Kun Kun. And today we have the original podcast team. The first is a man who loves true crime. He rates better than Saul up there with the all-time fucking greats. A numbers man who swears by a fine lamb sag curry. We have Tim Keong. Hello, Tim. Hi, John. Are you glad you're back? <laughs> I'll say yes. <laughs> now, second, we have a man who has seen every episode of both the Australian TV classic Prisoner Selbock H and also every episode of The Prisoner... Not as impressive. A man who hates onions, so let's not remind him of the 1980 onion elections in India. We have Trent Davidson. Hello, Trent. Hello there. Uh, Well, thank you for joining us. Also joining us is a man who's toying with starting his own minute-by-minute podcast of Running Man, former lifesaver of this podcast because he was a last-minute replacement many times. He's a craft beer enthusiast, Shane Underwatha. Hello, Shane. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, all good. Got a nice day for it in Melbourne. When's the last time we saw you? Oh, eons ago, it feels like. Was it a year? More than three. More than three years. What is time? Crikey. Time is not kind. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a long time, Trent. Lots happened. Kids have been born... Netflix series have been cancelled. ScoMo's gone, come and gone. And last but not least, always looking at his phone, a man who kindly put his bachelor pad up for this afternoon's recording. A man so much of a nerd that his comic books were destroyed by bombs disposal at Melbourne Airport, not grabbing his microphone at all. Stephen Gender. Where's your microphone, Steve? It's right here. Yeah, great. Uh, And I am delighted to be here, John. And finally, all the way from Brisbane, by the magic of technology, we have comedian and writer Ashwin Seghar. Hello, Ashwin. Hey, how are you? Very good. How are you? I'm good. Is this okay for a background, brown on black, or should it be more brick wall? I don't know what's appropriate. I've forgotten what colour the Indian flag is. There's an orange there, isn't there? <laughs> it's a tri-colour, yeah, tri- I need a few more colours. I'm very drab for an Indian, so yeah, I'll try and colour it up a little. <laughs> so am I the only Indian on this group? Am I expected to bring some cultural knowledge or something? <laughs> That's yes. a lot of pressure. Yes, a little bit. Okay. But, you know, we're just, yeah, Sorry. <laughs> We don't, know, we don't know a lot about it. Yeah, no, it's fun. Okay. Now, Ashwin, it's been about three years since you've been on the podcast. And since then, I've listened, yeah. I've listened to you a few times because you hang out with word wizards. What does that mean? No. That... There's a certain professor in Brisbane on ABC Radio and you've been uh, oh. Professor Sussex. You're friends with Rolly, Professor Sussex. Yeah. A word with is the podcast, isn't it? And they go through... The English language. Yeah, he does. He goes through word of the day. Um, he he's just knows everything about language. I try to stump him. Ask him like about 
the Punjabi Hindi distinction once, and he was all on top of that as well on live radio. So there's, he's just unstumpable, Rolly Sussex. I bet he's all down with words like veranda and bungalow and all those Indian yeah. words. Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Really? That's Indian? Yeah, there's Vishnu's, you know, the god Vishnu, his other name is Juggernaut, which means, you know, big, strong dude. So that's where Juggernaut comes from as well. If you speak to him, I want... There was recently an episode they talked about Dutch influence on the English language, and there's a lot of Nordic. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of nautical terms, and someone from Gimpy rang up and said, "What about a Dutch oven?" And he, <laughs> he, he didn't. I don't think he was aware of the other meaning at all. He goes, oh, "Of course, it's a it's a it's a place where you cook things." <laughs> yeah, he's the cleanest sort of soul that I've ever met. Like he, he even ends every session with a pun, like a joke. It's always a pun. It's never anything dirty. So that would have thrown him that kind of adult humor with the, the Dutch oven talk. <laughs> He's a lovely man, but I, yeah, I was I was wishing someone called up and would say, you know, what's a Dutch rudder? And he goes, Dutch rudder, that's an interesting one, a Dutch rudder. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't believe three years since we spoke to you. And the reason we've invited you back, Ashwin, is you said something about being in a Bollywood bubble last time we spoke to you. <laughs> do you remember that? I do watch a lot of Bollywood movies. Yeah, I watch a lot of Bollywood movies because I was kind of separated from my homeland as a child. So the only way I can get back into it is through cinema. So I watch a lot of Bollywood movies just to see what Indians are up to these days. I don't know how realistic it is. It's a lot of drug dealing, prostitution, dancing, and I'm not sure how exactly capturing it is. But I do watch Bollywood to stay in touch with, with the motherland and, and practice my Hindi. Yeah. It's so big. I mean, I've all, everyone knows how big Bollywood is, but I didn't realize it's so big that... Even within, you have Mollywood in Kerala in the south, and there's a whole different parts of the Bollywood. So we need you. We need to unpack some of this. This like is Kun is Kun Kun. Is that how we pronounce it? And is it a Bollywood yeah. movie? Yeah, it is a. Bo- so Kun means blood. So it's just like saying blood, blood, which I guess assume is how they say bloody um, over there. So Kun Kun is bloody. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, there is, but there's different. So there's a bit of a division in India now between Bollywood and Mollywood and Tollywood because Bollywood has become so big. They've got to appeal to the Middle East, to Africa, to Western audiences. So they have to sort of um, water themselves down in a way. Whereas Mollywood and Tollywood are mainly watched by villagers, and so they can stay more sort of purest Indian. So there's a bit of a bit of a divide in the Bollywood Tollywood scene. And a question: Do they all sing? The bursting into song is common across the- <laughs> that that you they do still sing a lot but they've cut, toned down on the singing there are some movies now where there's no singing especially if it's a really important dramatic story they sort of toned down on the singing and dancing uh, i'm happy with the direction <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I struggled with watching this movie because there's just too many songs in it because i've been watching modern bollywood and then i went back and watched this and i was like oh god this is a completely unnecessary song they've just launched into it for the sake of it and i just yeah i forwarded through quite a few songs i'm not sure did you guys do that as well on the rewatch yes how many songs did anyone count them i think there are only four real songs yeah the cabaret i think four that one that one was funny (laughs) jesus i think you know more of it than we do (laughs) um ashwin Steve has a question, but I just one thing. Is there a Pollywood, like a porn? <laughs> anyway, that, not a real question. Steve, go on. <laughs> no, uh, 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 I was only going to say uh, drugs, prostitution, gambling. It just sounds like a good night out. Um. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't saying it's bad. I don't, feel like, I don't want to feel like I'm judging prostitution and gambling and drugs, but yeah, <laughs> just a lot of it. Oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> 
But tell us, Ashwin, Ashwin, mm. I've had a quick Google search and your name has something to do with horses, Ashwin, or what does Ashwin mean? Yeah, there's a, so it's the first star that appears in the night sky, apparently, Ashwini. And I think they symbolized it to be like a horse chariot rider, something to do with chariots. Because I think every ancient culture was obsessed with horse riding. So Indians, they have Arjuna the, and Krishna, the, the chariot horse rider. Um, and the Greeks had, you know, horses riding into battle, chariot. I don't know, everyone was just into chariots back then. It was the, like the, the mode of choice for people. I don't know. You guys into chariots or...? <laughs> I've never even seen Ben Hur. <laughs> what? Yes. Really? No, no, I don't think so. Oh, it's great. But you've seen Kun Kun. <laughs> I've seen Kun Kun, yeah. And one thing you'll notice about Ben Hur, it's short by today's standards. It's like Peter Jackson is really blowing out what's average today. So it doesn't even really feel that long. I wouldn't say it's a juggernaut, for example. <laughs> is, that, is that like the only movie that's famous for a chariot scene like i can't think of any other i think it's the only movie that's famous for a cameo by jesus <laughs> that was a real problem when they presented that even in the 1900s in sydney they thought it was a blasphemous how can you represent our messiah at all you know My feeling about this film, okay, my gut feeling, is that there's going to be no middle ground. People are going to loathe and despise this movie, or they are going to go out of their minds about it. Well, thanks for joining us, Ashwin. Before we begin, I just thought, first thoughts, what first comes to mind with Kun Kun, guys? I'll start with you, Ashwin. What what was your immediate reaction to the movie? I, I actually want to thank you for getting me into this, because I had ignored classic Bollywood before watching this. Because I just thought it was too painful. I had all these childhood flashbacks of how painful it was. But it's actually, a, I find it a surprisingly watchable. Like, it wasn't the best movie, but it was watchable. Um, I, one thing maybe we'll notice as we're watching this, there's a tension in India between the Northeast and the rest. So you, you notice the villain in this uh, movie looks Asiatic, almost Tibetan Chinese, because the Northeast of India, um, Meghalaya, Sikkim, that's what people look like, and they're always kind of discriminated against, and some are seen as not as Indian as the sort of classic Bollywood brown skin looks. So I was like, I thought it was an interesting choice to make the villain from that part of India. I thought that was a bit of a stereotypical choice, um, but it was 1972. So that's that's one thing that popped out at me. But otherwise, it was just, yeah, I was just enjoying watching the movie, and I guess we'll get to sort of different plot points as we go through. I thought he was quite handsome looking, actually. All the time I'm what all the time I'm watching the movie I'm comparing him against Andy Robinson of course and um, I think he comes up a bit better looking anyway. So Steve, what did, what did you think, Steve? I found it kind of a fascinating interpretation of uh, Dirty Harry, and uh, if, if if we can go back to Dirty Harry, uh, that was uh, a movie that was uh, very much sit- situated in the seventies uh, and had a lot of 70s culture about it, uh, which which uh, was to do with tough cops, uh, kind of, you know, dressed down, polo, polo shirts and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, Kun, and, and Kun Kun, to me, kind of mimicked that. And I think it was mim- I think it was mimicry. 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 Enjoyable mimicry. Macaroni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macaroni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macaroni. Yeah, yeah. It was. 
two rather positive views of the movie. What, what did you think, Tim? I think maybe... I'm guessing you felt it was a bit of a chore because you hate movies over two hours. John, I, uh, I, I, it's a bit unfair because I only got through half the film <laughs> as part of my uh, thorough research. Um, it was mainly because I was tired. <laughs> I absolutely don't blame you. Um, this movie is long. No, but uh, if just the two things that sort of I would like take a well summarized stood out to me was one is i i wasn't sure like when when i heard it wasn't bollywood remake of dirty harry i i I guess i just assumed it would be like not serious like a parody yeah Yeah. and then it actually turns out to actually be serious (laughs) like sort of sort of like it's sort of not comp full-on comedy even though there's some funny elements to it that's a question for you ashwin does Bollywood itself, it's a genre or a type? Like, do you have do you have comedic Bollywoods? Do you have thriller Bollywoods? Do you have true crime Bollywoods? I'm not even sure. Or by nature, is it all yeah, frivolous? All the above. No, there is all the above. So there's yeah, there's horror, thriller, comedy. I yes, but I guess Bollywood. Looking from the outside, it all gets lumped together as Bollywood. Um, but I, I don't find the comedy very watchable because I didn't grow up with that Indian sensibility of humour, which is a bit I find a bit slapstick yeah. um, and a bit sort of over the top, big facial expressions. Whereas the West is so dry and sarcastic now after two world wars and hardship and economic depressions, and so we've just become a very cynical people. Whereas the Indians are still sort of goofy and slapsticky when it comes to making fun. So yeah, there's a disconnect. But yeah, Indian drama is probably the most popular type. Ashwin, is 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 the other thing that stood out to me is it kind of actually looked more dated than Dirty Harry itself. But Ooh, I don't know. Well, that's a line ball. But I don't know if that's because I'm just seeing like so much color, and it's obviously yeah. culturally very different. But is that like a Bollywood films just generally colorful like that as a whole? I don't know. Like something about the something about Dirty Harry is a bit more timeless. Yeah, with the washed out. I, I reckon, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if that's also a function of just costs and things because India, <laughs> the film industry was a bit behind back then. So maybe they were just working with cheaper cameras and equipment and sets and yeah, things yeah. and the Hollywood guys. Yeah, I mean, the only colour they really share is the is what we love, I think, all in this room, the fire engine red blood, fake blood of the 70s. Mm. <laughs> but apart from yeah. those colours, that's where the... I think it's been called candy coloured is what they call the art direction and the photography in Kun Kun. Like it's, it's very bright, you know, and uh, the colours in his ties and his sh- in the shirts of Anand really pop. What did you think, Shane? What did you think of the movie? First reaction. Um, I thought some of the scenes were really good. I thought it didn't hold together very well. It was very long. I actually did the rewatch in two parts <laughs> because I just couldn't stomach that there was an extra hour to go. But some of the really good scenes are in that second half. Um, and similar to Ashwin, I f- fast-forwarded the musical numbers. Probably be a better film for me if we just dropped those completely. Um, yeah, I thought it was dated, but I loved all the 70s clothing in particular. Well, Ashwin, you've heard from three very racist people. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Trent, what do you think, Trent? Are you still there, Trent? Well, I mean, it started, I thought, this could be a bit of fun. Uh, remake 
it's definitely, you know, it steals some rip off some elements from it, i.e. an assassin holding a city to ransom. And then on top of that, you know, bus chase at the end and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I was expecting it to be a bit more fun. The musical numbers I found, you know, as Ashwin was saying before, really unnecessary. Uh, I thought there could have been a bit of hilarious value to, to them, but, you know, the, the fact that the kids singing whatever they sing in this one rather than Row, Row, Row Your Boat was um, a music, turned into a musical number, these kids being held hostage, not to go all serious, but, um, like, it was just, at that point of time, I, I felt it dragged on too long. Um, 90 something minutes would have been great. I'd be interested to watch it. Um, I was, uh, yeah. while, I, while I was watching it, I was actually thinking, geez, I'd love to just do my own edit of this to make it a really fun little crime drama, nicely contained. Oh, I'd be into that. I'd be watching that, Trent. That sounds good. <laughs> But not for a few months. <laughs> yeah. So not, don't rush yeah, into that project. For a few years. <laughs> um, I like some of the, I really like the exterior cinematography, the location use, uh, seeing yeah. some of the brutalist buildings and stuff. And just like the original film, when it was daytime, there was always that sort of um, piercing sun, just like a haze to the sky all the time. And the, I mean, that's something I really love about the original film and, and a lot of uh, California shot films of the early 70s, not that this was shot in California, but it captured that look really well. Um, yeah, I mean, the studio shot stuff, the, the sets look quite stagey and, and whatever. Uh, that's when the lived-in world kind of stopped for me. But, um, yeah, there, there was just a lot of unnecessary crap dialogue for me so yeah it it made it drag out a little bit well great now I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about the background of the film So, yeah, India, 1973, Indira Gandhi, famous daughter of another Gandhi, I wonder who, was in her second term as Prime Minister. Now, when I looked this up, there are quite a lot of Prime Ministers in the subcontinent of India. Did you know that, Ashwin? Bangladesh had a Prime Minister of 18 years. It was female. Sri Lanka, around 20 years. And uh, so I thought that was quite, uh, quite significant. I thought that was quite impressive that so many, yeah... It, it is interesting because the, rep- the region has a reputation for being patriarchal and women have a lower place in society. But in this way, they've always excelled, female leadership. And this female goddess, goddesses have been a part of the culture for thousands of years. So in that sense, the divine feminine has always had a place. So maybe that translated to prime ministership. I don't know if Indira Gandhi branded herself as divine feminine during her election campaign, but something in the culture is comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean one one qualifying one one qualifying part of that is they are generally in dynasties, of political dynasties like Bhutto or the yeah. Aung San Lee in Burma, I suppose. So that's one thing that doesn't make it quite as impressive. But still, you know, four four of these countries had female prime ministers before Australia, before Thatcher. Yeah. 
1973, 1st of April, the government announced a campaign to save the tiger from extinction, Ashwin. But of course, it was the 1st of April, so no one believed it. <laughs> oh, damn. Do they have April Fool's Day? That's like, yeah, because they just started celebrating Christmas. When I was a kid, they didn't know about Christmas in my family. And we kind of introduced it as this colonial project when we would go back to India and we'd start demanding Christmas presents from aunties and uncles. And so sort of we introduced Christmas like reverse missionaries in about 1996. I don't know if April Fool's Day was big as well back then, but maybe not. Please tell me they have some weird Korea, Japan, KFC thing they do on Christmas like maybe they all go to Hungry Jack, Whopper King or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I hope so. I hope they do now. It's just a big commercial thing. But, yeah, that's interesting about the April Fool's. And so they saved the tiger. And now they've just reintroduced the cheetah as well. They're trying to get all the big cats back into India one at a time, making it a much more dangerous place. <laughs> um, Ashwin, not to stereotype you, but who is the greatest batsman of all time? <laughs> oh, that's got to be Don Bradman, doesn't it? Like, I don't, it's someone was saying the other day in basketball, it's up for grabs, you know, with um, Jordan and LeBron. But uh, in cricket, it's kind of even if you told Sachin Tendulkar he was the greatest, he would slap you and tell you it was Don Bradman. So I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, well, Sachin was born in April 1973, a month before this movie came out. So that's another significant oh. thing, 1973 in India. Nice. Uh, yes, yeah, so Kun Kun was released sometime in June 73, which means it was released just before the remake, the second sequel to Dirty Harry Magnum Force. Uh, it was filmed at Natraj Studios, or Natraj, I don't know how you pronounce it, Ashwin, in Mumbai. Natraj. Yeah, Natraj. Does that mean anything? Well, Raj means king, you know, like Raj, and Nat, I'm not sure Nat might be... New. We'll have to Google that. Naya is Naya is new in Hindi, but this might be an old Sanskrit word. Natraj. I'll Google it now. I should know. Or it could mean a Rastafarian king, a Nati. Yeah, some some kind of king. And obviously, as Trent's alluded to, there's obviously a lot of location filming we've seen in the movie. So I'd say it has a pretty pretty good budget chain. Like, did that um, part of it appeal to you? Oh, yes. Apart from that, I was taking notes. So every time they change scene, I feel like I've, I've filled up seven pages to just figure out where I am in, in the film. Um, so they've actually got on to this and written the script or plagiarized the script pretty in pretty uh, quick succession after the release and fame of Dirty Harry. They're already out there shooting pretty, pretty quickly to get it all wrapped and out. I mean, Harry came out when December, Christmas 71, and this is uh, the middle of the next following, following year, 73. So that's pretty quick. My question is, how do they get all the, all the audio soundtrack they ripped off Dirty Harry? Because the soundtrack wasn't released at the time. It was only released in the 90s or something. So did they literally just get someone to steal a copy and, I mean, or someone in Warner Brothers leaked it? Or I wonder how they did that. No, I reckon it was directly from the negative yeah there, there were, like, I wish I could remember specifics right now but I do remember some sound effects being from the original film turning up in there very subtle but you could hear them God, God forbid that uh, they actually legally approach Warner Brothers and pay for the music <laughs> <laughs> exactly can I just quickly point in that Bollywood is notoriously connected to the mafia 
as well, has been for a long, long time. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were some shady dealings as well to get music and props and whatever you needed back then. <laughs> so, yeah, director's name was Muhammad Hussein, who started directing in the 1940s. Uh, IMDb says he was born in 1918, but he's still alive. So I'm thinking it hasn't been updated or he's just 104. But his last theatrical movie was in 1988. But, of course, with a name like Muhammad Hussein, good luck trying to Google that with any certainty to find out. Uh, But it seems he was well known for directing stunt films, particularly of an actor, Ashwin, I'm not sure if he's famous, called Dara Singh. Have you heard of him? Uh, is that a is that a wrestler? There was a wrestler with that name. Was that very much? It was something called the Pelwani tradition. Is it a martial art? Pelwani. Yeah, Pelwan res- Pelwan is Indian native wrestling, Indian Pakistani wrestling. So he must have been one of the key characters in that. They do it in the mud pit and the sand pit. You like you you bathe, cover yourself in oil and turmeric and and wrestle around with your mates. It's good fun. Delicious. And then so is it like professional wrestling? It's sort of scripted or. No, it's it's real oh, wrestling it's in the real. villages. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine they'd thrown some of that in Tintin. That would have made a much better film. Yeah, fire sequences, yeah. yeah. What, like, instead of shooting the killer dead, just, like, covering him in turmeric and suplexing him for a finishing Exactly. Movie. I mean, that sawmill at the end, it should have been a turmeric factory. <laughs> it should have, like, been punched into the pit of turmeric and wrestled around in there and then fallen into, you know, off the building into a swamp or something. And yeah. 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 I love it. The other problem is turmeric's really good for your immunity, which would cancel out the attempted murder. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the director seems to have done a lot of these type of films, particularly with the actor Dara Singh, um, and a lot of, like, cheap... I'm imagining, like, Sergio Leone-type stuff before Trent, before the movies, you know, like sword and sandal type fair or like those Mexican yeah. wrestling films. So I don't think he had a particular, he's a bit of a B movie maestro from what I can see. In 1960, he co-directed a Superman film. So you prize are probably getting erections over that. In 1967, uh, he did a James Bond ripoff called CID 909. And the movie directly prior to Kun Kun was called Taxi Driver. So uh, any of the scenes from that lifted? No, we had James Bond ripoff, Shaft, and Trent probably remembers the other ones. But um, Planet of I'm the sure Apes. Was- Planet of the Apes, that's yeah. it. Came up twice, yeah. So if he is a king of the bees after this movie, he did an Alibaba one. So maybe that's probably, I don't think he really went on to a particularly esteemed career. Anyway, Warner Brothers slapped an injunction over Kun Kun, according to an article in Variety in August 73. But Warners were only given damages of $50,000 and the movie was not prevented from exhibition. Um, so fifty grand does not sound too bad. Nothing like when a few dollars more, remember when Kurosawa got an injunction saying it ripped off uh, Seven Samurai, no, Yojimbo. They were awarded all the profits for that movie in Japan, but um, yeah... Embassy, whoever direct, produced this film, I've forgotten. Kun Kun just got 50 grand against them. But apparently it became well known and Indian film studios would always try to get a license and Hollywood sort of turned a blind eye against their industry anyway. I don't know how they went against um, 
other markets, Trent, like uh, like Turkey. But um, Warner Brothers shouldn't, yeah, Warner Brothers shouldn't have bothered because this was only the 38th highest grossing movie in 73, Kun Kun. And our friend, the lead actor, said the film flocked because of Hussein, um, the director. He said he, you know, he just applied his B-grade techniques to this film and that's why it died a death. I had just read all of Thomas Harris's Hannibal novels, and I was revisiting all of the movies. By that time, there were two versions of Red Dragon, the one from 2002 and Manhunter from 1986. I was curious if there were other adaptations I wasn't aware of. Sure enough, IMDb revealed an unauthorized remake of Silence of the Lambs from India called Sangharsh. What's more, it was a musical. So, obviously, I ordered the DVD, even though it had no subtitles, and it was wild. I was fascinated with what it kept from the Hollywood movie and what it changed. Why were there songs? Why is Buffalo Bill now a child murderer? Why is Hannibal handsome and smoldering? I also became curious about what other kinds of international remakes and ripoffs were out there, so I started poking around the internet. The first thing that came up was the infamous Turkish Star Wars, The Man Who Saves the World. Colorful, low-budget, action-packed sci-fi hodgepodge with footage lifted from Star Wars and an entire score cribbed from other movies. Watching that with friends on Google Video back when that existed was a particularly psychedelic experience. It felt like it came from an alternate dimension. But of course it didn't. People made it. There were reasons it looked like it did. There was presumably an entire industry behind it, one that I knew nothing about. As I sought out other interesting international remakes and ripoffs, I started researching them. The people who made them, the conditions they were made in, the way their cultures consumed films, their contemporary political landscapes, and so on. Bollywood Harry Potter, Indian Jaws, Korean Tron, Turkish Batman, Japanese Planet of the Apes. I do think that a lot of these kinds of films get sort of pigeonholed into a kind of ironic, snarky sort of category. But the idea that people sort of see clips from these movies out of context, they laugh at them, they share them, other people laugh at them. But there's not really an understanding of or really a desire for understanding what they are, where they come from, why they look like what they look like. I always find that sort of unfortunate because I think you can have the joy of watching something unusual and new and strange and still appreciate how it came to be. Yeah, I always like that echo of our culture or other people's cultures reflected off of us or from them back to us. Just to see how that goes, you can learn a lot about yourself by seeing how other people interpret your own art. I mean, there's that whole phenomenon of North India, South India, and how people kind of remake their own movies, which is interesting.
So, yeah, Mahendra Sandhu, who plays our hero Arnan, this was his debut film, and he was tipped to be the next big thing. Uh, he's definitely no Eastwood, is he, Shane? Look, he has some kind of star power, but he is no Eastwood. Um... I think actually the bus driver at the end with the huge mustache probably has the most charisma. And I would have liked yeah. to see his sequel. Because he saves the day <laughs> when the bus is stuck on the train track. Yeah. I think uh, he's un- under- underutilized. I wonder if he's someone famous. That's- I don't think so. He's a dead ringer. This is getting probably too niche, but in the Blues Brothers during the famous restaurant scene where you know jake and elwood are scoffing everything there's a wait a wine pourer who comes along who looks exactly like him he says, <laughs> wrong glass sir um yeah the same hair the same mustache but an earring and there's a guy with a a, a green hat with an owl on it and a very famous a plumbing brother called mario <laughs> <laughs> Dead ringer. <laughs> Should be a red hat. Sure. <laughs> we had a character. We had an actor called Jagdeep who plays Anand's sidekick Puncham. Um, we can talk about that character later, but what was the point of him? Punchy. Punchy. Puncham. Did, did you like? Is that a common character, Ashwin, in Bollywood movies? A bumbling sidekick, or? Is that just peculiar to... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you still see it today. I just watched another Bollywood movie with the bumbling sidekick and the serious hero. And the bumbling is so over the top. And that's why, coming back to that comedy style, it's just the comedy is too over the top for me. So I've, I've trouble watching Indian bumbling. <laughs> what's with the eggs? What, what, what's, important, what's the importance of eggs, Steve or Ashwin or anyone? I just didn't quite get that. I just thought... Yeah, I just thought they were trying to be quirky. There's like, this is our idea of being a quirky and kooky, humorous thing. So if you don't like eggs, that would have made you physically sick the way he ate them and so many of them. It's it's a bit like uh, Akira Kurosawa and uh, and maybe even a, a little bit, bit about Star Wars uh, because in Star Wars, the droids, uh, C-3PO and R2-D2, uh, were kind of the bumbling sidekicks and... But they were fun. They were zany. They were zippy. And, and, and that came back from Akira Kurosawa's uh, Hidden Fortress. So I, I I think this may be a a similar kind of uh, dramatic intent, if I put it that way. Isn't isn't that also the Disney, the Disney formula? Yeah. But that came from the probably 90s animation onwards. They just... Every movie always have the... Yeah, that's true. The side is it animal? Not always an animal. It could be a candlestick. Or a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, third build, we had Rekka, who plays Anand's wife. She's very famous, apparently. Um, and this is young. This is earlier on in her career. I think she was a bit of a sex symbol, from what I can tell. You know, as, as much as you can walk that tightrope in India, I guess where you can't, you have to be a bit demure and everything ashwin but have you have you encountered her in any movies is she a sec- is she very famous i started getting into bollywood movies in the early 90s and i feel like a lot of these characters had faded away the only 70s bollywood star i think that made it was amitabh bachchan and his son abhishek bachchan they're still big today so i don't remember any of these characters what's with the single name actors 
Like there's Rekka, there's Murad, there's Ratna, there's Helen. In a country with a billion people, you can't get away with that, you know, one name celebrity, can you? Yeah. I don't know. It's a nickname culture. You know, like when you watch um, Indian cricket ma- matches, they'll call the person PV Singh and TS Ramakrishnan and stuff. There's just a naming convention around Indian names. Uh, with initials or with just one name. I don't know where this habit comes from. A lot of the people have nicknames. Like a lot of my cousins have nicknames. And it took me 25 years to figure out that that wasn't their actual name. I thought my cousin's name was actually Thumbi, which means dragonfly. And I thought it was a cool name, but it was actually, you know, Jagdeep or something, you know, maybe not that, but something normal. So yeah, we're a nicknaming culture. Yeah. And I've saved the best to last. Danny Desponga is uh, the killer Raghav, who... I love him in this in this movie. I think he makes up for the lack of grit in the movie. Um, the director worked with Des Ponga a few times in the future as well after this movie, sort of like Don Siegel would work with Andy Robertson another time. And he was very famous, Danny Den, no, sorry Des Ponga, for playing these deranged types. But um, yeah, there's a great review online of him, and it says. Densponga swings unpredictably from grandiosity to sniveling cowardice to impotent rage, which is a greatly worded sentence, but I, I don't think he achieves those great heights all the time, Tim. He's no Andy Robinson, is he? Uh, no, but he's... You never see him like going... Like when Andy Robinson's on the roof with the helicopter before he gets to shoot the homosexual in the in the moo moo. Remember, he's you can see how he's in a torment. How he's like a child, like his candy's been taken. Away. He doesn't look as deranged. No. That's for sure. He has that. He has that sort of pretty boy face. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have that deranged uh, uh, personality. What did you think, Trent? Did you do you like the bad guy, Danny? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind him. I thought he had a presence. Um, but you know, for, for what it was, uh, it was pretty 2D anyway. So, 2D. you know, I wasn't expecting too much. He's one of the strengths, I think, his performance. Yeah. I really don't understand how crazy he gets and he picks up a gun and he decides to kidnap a school bus. Like, none of, but that's really the plot. Like, that, I feel like the actor did what he needed to do, yeah. but he gets very deranged very quickly. Were you a fan, of Steve? Yeah, uh, I actually thought uh, uh, Raghav uh, was the lead character of the movie, uh, which mm. uh, sort of is in opposition to uh, Dirty Harry, uh, where, of course, in Dirty Harry, Dirty Harry is the lead character. Uh, but, um, yeah, in this case, I think, uh, I think the antagonist was the lead character, which, which is one of the fascinating things about this movie. Well, guys, let's just go really rapid fire. Positives. Let's talk about the positives. (laughs) Here's my quick list. I said stunts, not too bad, even nifty in some places. Two, I'm a sucker for location shots, and there's enough here. Trent spoke about this before. I found them quite interesting. Uh, Obviously, it follows most of the plot points of Dirty Harry, so it feels very familiar. And... Yeah, it's nice to see Hitler mustaches coming back. So, yeah, those are my positives. Off-putting. I'll I'll go for the flares, uh, the costumes in general, but I like the 70s clothing a lot. Um, And the opening sequence, I think this is the strongest part. It actually is a lot like Dirty Harry. 
it's not a comedy yet. You got the low angle shots on the beach. All of that is quite good. Your positives, Tim? Uh, the stunt work seemed pretty pretty decent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was uh, I had all the uh, safety checks in place, but <laughs> it made for a dramatic some dramatic stunts. <laughs> uh, Trent, I like the cinematography. Um, like I said earlier, I, I really liked the use of locations. I thought that was good. I liked the well in the beginning. I liked the difference that the main character was, was a team effort rather than just a lone wolf. I thought, oh, this is actually going to be a little bit different. It was a little bit different, but, uh, yeah, not the way I would have enjoyed But anyway. <laughs> and, Steve, you can only say positive things. What's two sentences that are positive? Uh, two, two positive sentences. Um, uh, so I I liked the cultural uh, re, recontextualization, if I put it, if, if I put it that way. Yep. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah take, taking a much-loved movie and... Uh, uh, translating it into a different place. Um, uh, I liked the violence. Uh, I love violence in movies. Call triple nine. Triple zero. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, and I thought there was some really good violence in this film. Some good killings. Great. Uh, Ashwin, one positive thing. I, you know what? Yeah, I was just watched the Forrest Gump remake. There's a Bollywood Forrest Gump remake which just came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's called Lal Singh Chadda. It's on Netflix now. I think if you guys want to watch that as well. Um, and this was another example of taking a piece of Hollywood and trying to Indianize it. So it was part of India's reaching out to the world, and it's been going on ever since then. So I don't know if this was one of the first efforts to copy a Western film, but. Um, I think India has benefited from reaching out to the world, learning from its ideas, rejecting some things, keeping others. So, yeah, this is one of the first attempts to reach out. And, and I also did like to just see 1970s India. So yeah. My parents left in 79, so it was nice to just go back there through film. I'd love to go back there. Yeah. Negatives. Yeah. Here are my negatives. It feels very long. It feels twice as long as Dirty Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, it's not as gritty as Dirty Harry. It's probably long because it's got all this clean Harry stuff, exposition about family. Dirty Harry's not supposed to have a live, living, breathing, pulse-bearing family. Um, of course he is. <laughs> flashbacks are out of place in this sort of story, and you've got the flashback, of course. It's a lovely song, the romantic, uh, nostalgic one he has with his wife. Flashbacks don't appear in any Dirty Harry movie except for Sudden Impact, and in that case it tr- probably should be for the villain. The comedy is clumsy. Do we need to make Chico funny, Shane? I don't think so. Uh, he's a buffoon. And it, it would be okay if he was a buffoon, but he's like a quarter of the movie almost devoted to him uh, and his zany antics. Um, yeah. What are some negatives? There must be a lot, maybe. Shane, for you. Look, you've covered most of them. Um I don't think the scene with the child in the rain at the start who tries to stab another kid, I don't think it's very clear that that's, what, that's going to an orphanage and he's going to become a killer. Mm. Like, it's a good scene. It stands alone by itself. But I don't know, Trent, if you in your remake, when you trim it down, <laughs> that'll necessarily need to be there. Um, yeah, no, I had a lot of problems with the length. And scenes that didn't need to be there. Scenes at the end that are totally lifted from Dirty Harry make make the movie worse and just shouldn't shouldn't have yeah. been there. Uh, negatives for you. 
Talking about scenes that could be trimmed, John, <laughs> surely you saw that remake helicopter shot? Yeah. <laughs> early on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> helicopter minute. They should have just lifted the whole original footage. <laughs> um, Ashwin, what's a negative for you? Like you said, too long, too irrelevant. Um, maybe, you know what they could have Indianized? That when Forrest Gump got remade, they Indianized some of the problems and the issues that the character was going through a little bit. I reckon they could have done that with Dirty Harry. Just take it into a more Indian setting. Like, for instance, the word, we're talking about Indian words in this podcast. The word thug is an Indian word because there was a band of robbers called thugs who would slit people's throat as they went up and down highways of India, the ancient highways, and and they would do it for the goddess Kali. There's all this mythology around the murders. So there's so much darkness you could have found in India, whether it's classical darkness or modern darkness, and applied that to retell the story rather than just trying to copy it exactly. So, yeah, a bit more adaptation would have been fun. But, of course, uh, Spielberg mined that that vein in uh, Temple of Doom and went a bit too far. <laughs> remember the thuggies and the cullies oh. and the monkey brains? Oh, I, I've forgotten all about that. I just remember the monkey brain eating. Was that thugs who was doing that? Yeah. Well, they're, they're praying to Kali and Kalima and that. They don't use the T yeah, word. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, maybe find another angle. I've just got a big heading here, differences from Dirty Harry. I said... There's no moral ambiguity to Arnand, the Indian Dirty Harry. There's no dirty part to him at all. Um, the only thing that detracts from his honourable image is maybe he's a bit unavailable to his wife or a bit scared to commit. They've removed the do I feel lucky bit. Uh, and most importantly, guys, there's no bloody big gun. Don't we need that from Dirty Harry? Hmm. Uh, I said, yeah, Harry and Arnand, they're nothing alike. The only similarity they share is they're both workaholics. Obviously, Dirty Harry has a go at the justice system that this movie can't do. I suppose, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine an Indian film having the suicide equivalent scene. You couldn't just criticise the justice system. There's no slimy DA there. Um, And most importantly, you couldn't have a killer kill a holy man, the Swami. I mean... You can't have Scorpio kill Gandhi, I suppose, and that it just takes away from the the grit of the original Dirty Harry. Ashwin, you actually took the words out of my notes. You mentioned an actor called Amitabh Bakan, Bakachan, was it? Bakachan, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the very same year as Kun Kun, he made a movie called Zanjir, or Chain. He sounds like an, a Charles Bronson movie where he plays a cop who's kicked off the force and goes out for revenge. And it kicked off a whole lot of dark, violent movies. So apparently he's like the... He, he became the original Eastwood in, in Indian cinema. So that movie was a lot more biting and Dirty Harry-like than this movie was, Zanjir. Yeah, when you suggested this movie to me, I thought he was going to be Dirty Harry because he just seemed like he would have fitted the part in the 70s. I haven't seen that movie, but I have seen later films from him and he's got good darkness, you know, because he's quite tall and imposing and and not goofy. And Yeah, he would have been good. My last notes, I said, this movie has removed all subtext and ambiguity from the hero, Anand, and 
it actually tries to give a backstory to the villain, which it never does for Scorpio. Um, you said, Shane, you didn't like the... I didn't understand it maybe or remember it in the first watch through. The second watch through, I'm watching the child and all of a sudden the penny dropped. Yeah. Oh, this is our backstory for our Scorpio character, which, yeah, it does add something. I, I mean, it's interesting. My diagnosis, bad stepmothering. Yeah, just turning <laughs> into a bad kid. The music, guys, we've already mentioned it. It ripped off. Uh, I just can't believe it blatantly ripped off all those musical cues. Uh, but Warner Brothers were the only people... I mean, how many movies in India were released in the 1970s? It was probably still t- high thousands. Are you surprised, Trent, that they got away with that? Or how they've allowed... T- how, how, how have they allowed it to get onto Netflix anyway? Well, the Netflix thing, yeah, that surprises me. But otherwise, not. it doesn't surprise me that they were put in there. I mean, it was pretty standard that, uh, you know, library stock music, you know, even British TV shows would pop up the same cues over and over again uh, from like the Thames and KPM and stuff like that. You know, you'd be watching an Australian soap opera, um, you know, and you'd hear the same music you'd hear in something like the Sweeney from England or the professionals (laughs) or whatever. Um, But then on the other end of things, you've got uh, the John Holmes, Johnny Wad series of films where in the original releases of those, that was basically a needle drop um, recording of the, uh, what do you call it? From the Eastwood Dollars films. The, the, woo! <laughs> like that was so suddenly the, the Johnny Wad theme as well. <laughs> I think people were just more accepting in, in a way. Maybe the uh, producers of, of the, uh, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly enjoyed yeah, pornos maybe. In, their, <laughs> in their spare time. <laughs> And the, the litigious class is the privileged decades-long industries who can actually be bothered to go after these copyright thieves and call it a crime and name and shame them and take them through the courts. And, you know, in the 70s, everyone's just like, no, nah, it's cool, man. It's funny that you say Warner Brothers tried to sue. Yeah. Well, they did. They got damages of 50000 Which makes me think they didn't pay for the music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a lot's happened in the intervening 50 years and those licenses have been sorted out. Um, Ashwin, what prop do you want most from this movie, if you could have one? I think I would take, there's at 38.25, I looked at the time code, they're sitting down for um, a meeting and there's some ham sandwiches <laughs> and no Indian family ever serves ham sandwiches. Like, I think they were trying to appeal to a Western audience. It would have been Bujamix, samosas, some spicy crackers, but I just thought that was so out of place. So I just want that. And I don't think they'd seen a ham sandwich before. They're just the thinnest sandwich. There's nothing in them. It's just two slices. They thought oh, white people like triangle-shaped bread. We'll just cut some triangle-shaped bread and stick it in the corner. Um, so, yeah, thought that was a bit of cultural trivia. It's like in that Australian movie with John Goodman. Is it Dirty Deeds or something? Anyway, these pizzas. Yeah, yeah. The mafia come over and they want a pizza, and like it's 1970s Australia, so he makes him some like casserole or something. Says, "Is it? Hey, man, isn't this a pizza pie?" <laughs> Years before that film came out, I remember going to a pizza like in the early 90s, going to a pizza restaurant with my dad, and my dad telling me that exact thing. Um, about Australia saying, geez, like no, none of us ate pizza when they first arrived here in Australia. Like it looked like shit and tasted like shit. Um, <laughs> and I remember he 
pulled up a, a manager of some poor kid at a Pizza Hut restaurant and went on a rambling appreciation of the Pizza Hut um, quality, how, you know, yes, geez, that's improved a lot over the last 20 years. I'll tell you what, when, when they first came out here and this guy's just trying to clean a fucking table or whatever and spill coke, and my dad's just ranting at him about, you know, the quality of pizza in Pizza Hut. Well, that's about all I have. Um, yeah, many thanks for coming, Trent. Thanks, John. Um, always a pleasure to catch up with everyone. Uh, I think we've more than maximised the amount of uh, minutes of the original film <laughs> and any possible spin-offs. Yeah. But uh, like I said, always a good opportunity to see everyone Indeed. in these busy times and, and catch up. But uh, yeah, hopefully there's uh, no more quotation marks remakes that uh need exploring you know i'll find them if they're out there you know i will and shane hello john now shane what prop would you most like to have from kun kun uh i would take as a prop the um the guitars those like blue guitars in the i think it's the fourth Ah. song um, they're miming very badly, so I think they're unused guitars, so that'll be the prop I'd take. <laughs> Good choice. I think I'd want the bass drum with the picture of the with the woman on it. But, yeah, great to have you as always. Oh, yeah, awesome. It's been good. Thanks very much for that. See you on the next one. Oh, yeah. And, Tim, thank you very much for coming. I know better than to ask for your favourite prop, as if you were paying attention. Thanks, John. Um, I should probably go back and finish the second half of the movie, but I guess uh, this podcast has taught me more about the film uh, than watching the first half of the film did. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim. (laughs) Ashwin, I'm going to keep you on the line. Yeah, okay. Because we're going to speak to another special critic. (laughs) So, you know, obviously this is our opinion about the movie, but there are people out there with a different opinion. It is now time for second opinions. Well, now you've heard from the original gang, let's finally grab another reviewing hero (laughs) all the way from Canada, one part of Sneaky Dragon Podcast and colorer of the fantastic young adults adventure series Sparks. Beaming in from Vancouver, we have David Dedrick. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. Good to see you. uh, Good afternoon, I guess. Is that what time it is there? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we're split over three time zones. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Ashwin's in another time zone. I think an hour before me or an hour. A, a, yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna say we're now, but we can't even agree on our own time zone. So yeah, it's eleven a.m. here, twelve for you. So we both live in giant countries. Yeah, so I guess this is the problem with that. I'm thinking with Newfoundland or New Finland, maybe. Sorry, I went Kiwi there. I think Canada has a few. Is a bit larger than Australia. We have, I think, four time maybe. zones. I think so. I think it's. Uh, Let's see, Pacific, Mountain, something or other, Eastern. <laughs> and Newfoundland's like a half an hour. They're a half an hour different. 
than the rest of everyone else. So, so I think it's four hours apart, or four hours apart from each other, and then they're a half extra half an hour apart. Wow, so that one little bit. Yeah, little bit of trivia on this. I'm not sure if this is true. Maybe I have to fact this, but I think I think China just has the one time zone as part of national unity. So it must be annoying for like the people who it gets dark at three thirty in the afternoon. But yeah, is that true? Really? I think so. I have to Google that now that I've said it. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I guess yeah, national unity. Exactly. Or clamping down on those. You know, there's no independence in time. It's one fixed time please yeah yeah you can't disagree about times yeah yeah it's curious yeah it's funny because uh the time zones were created by uh canadians so uh oh right i think i've heard that yeah yeah it was a railway guy so they're trying to figure out how to make the make everything smooth out yeah. so like oh let's just create these hours apart from each other and then we'll just yeah just um just a quick correction though china is almost as wide as the continental united states yeah the whole country is officially just one time zone beijing time so yeah once you take control of beijing you get to set time (laughs) (laughs) wow well i mean let's just say it's not really one time they're just pretending it is so (laughs) yeah um dave 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 so thank you very much for joining us today no problem uh, reviewing kun kun did you manage to watch it all without falling asleep? Uh, <laughs> did you watch it? What, did, what were your first impressions? Oh. My first impressions of it, yeah, I did, I did not uh, succeed in watching it without falling asleep. I, it took me three nights to uh, get through it all. And how much of it was real, I don't know, because it may have, you know, uh, unfortunately, I've been working 11-hour day, work days, so uh, I just came home and just... <sighs> but anyway, um, my thoughts... Well, gee, how come I have to start? Because I just... I felt it was a pretty silly movie. <laughs> like, I, I don't really know very much. Uh, I'm not, like, uh, uh, I'm not too up on, like, Bollywood films. Like, I, I remember seeing one as, like, a teenager. Nor am I. Nor you, yeah. I remember seeing one as a teenager, and it's, it's kind of, it's bad, because I live in Vancouver, BC, which is, like, we have a huge Indo-Canadian population here, and uh, most of our movie theaters play, like, uh, Indian films, uh, you know, t- because they're the only people who go to the movie theaters, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's just um, it's on me that I, I'm not too up on it. I did see like a couple when I was a kid. They played. We have a local network or a local TV station here in British Columbia called the Knowledge Network, and they, uh, for whatever reason, they played these um, Bollywood films, and they're kind of like uh, kind of these action movies. They're but they were so preposterous, like. You know, like as a teenager, it was just like mind blowing the the action scenes and stuff like that. They're just like so crazy, uh, like beyond like our crazy action in like normal Hollywood movies. These are like beyond that. They're, you know, and the the special effects were so like made up on the spot, and it's uh, it was just kind of too it was too jarring. Like I couldn't quite understand what I was seeing as a teenager. So I kind of felt the same way about this movie, though, where it just felt like it was uh, like I you recognize that they're using the Dirty Harry template, but everything about the movie changes the character and the story and the people's motivations and everything. You know what I mean? Like, like it starts off at, they can't just have, like in the Dirty Harry one, we just accept that he's a crazy killer and he just comes out of nowhere and he's going to kill people. That's, that's normal. That's, that's, that's North American life, I guess. But in, in India, they just were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. We have to have like a prologue that tells us mm-hmm. this person's bad because 
he was bad he was a bad kid or he was raised by a stepmom who was mean and so that's why he's that's why he turned out bad you know so now we understand his his motivation you know and then the mm. the dirty hairy character like in the movie you know he's like a lone wolf you know a guy on his own battling against the mayor the police chief everyone is against him including you know scorpio and he, but he comes out on top in the end where this this movie you know the guy's married he's living with his uh, extended family in, in an apartment mm. and he's uh he's like <laughs> best buds with the police his egg weird weird egg loving friend and him like <laughs> constantly there's like no conflict between yeah. them. there's no like you know uh you new guy new rookie that you know he has to break in and you know he's mad about it or whatever like there's none of that kind of plot to it and mm. it's just it's just so like this and then the killer is like the worst criminal who's ever been in tele- or on the screen like he just cannot do anything right like cuz Everything he does is like, you know, he like he goes to the police station and almost gets caught. Like, why did you go there? You're phoning before. Why did you decide to drop off a letter? Like, just continue <laughs> calling. That seemed to be working for you. It was just like, it, yeah. you know, it's just it's just a, a weird, you know. I'm not even talking about like all the dance sequences. That's just a whole, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Like, I understand that that's like part of you know Bollywood is the musical elements and stuff like that, and and that was kind of fun. I actually enjoyed the music part of, part of it a lot, but uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's kind of an odd film. That's my review. <laughs> wow. Well, Dave, you certainly hit on most of what we talked about last time, but actually very succinctly, I think it took us about an hour to uh, nail down why we had problems with it. I mean, it was enjoyable to sit down and watch. Yeah, it's, anyway, a, it's a fun film. Yeah, a long film as well. I mean, it doesn't have the lean... 90 or 100 minutes that Dirty Harry had. Mm-hmm. But let's just go through what you've talked about, Ashwin, because maybe you can give us some insights. Like, the movie's removed all the ambiguity from the cop, right, Dirty Harry? Yeah. 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 Like, He's a good guy. He, like you said, the- <laughs> he, he, has more, he has more of a bad relationship with his wife. There's more drama in that, whatever's <laughs> happening there. We'll talk yeah, about yeah. that later. He has more... That's more... His wife and family is more of an antagonist than, um, than R- Ragjav. Raghav, Raghav, yeah. Uh, yeah. Raghav, yep, yep. And also you mentioned they had the prologue uh, of how Raghav became Raghav. Yeah, yeah. And I wondered, Ashwin, was that because the idea of a serial killer maybe was seen as a very, the psychotic killer was, the habitual loner was more of a Western pathology, American pathology? So they felt the need. What do you think, Ashwin? I... I feel like I just agree with what um, David said because I feel like this movie was a right. It's 1972 India, which is um, 90% rural society back then. It's even now probably 70% rural. Lots of extended families, lots of traditional values and mores. So I feel like there was only so far they could stretch. So they still kept him in a family, but he was mean. He was a mean family member. So that was his equivalent of being solo. Um, and, yeah, they could have taken more of a stab at the Justice Department, but I wonder if, again, they were a bit more conservative mm-hmm. um, and so they didn't want to be too mean to the police system. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like they were, just, they, had, they were hamstrung by certain cultural restraints, whereas nowadays you watch Bollywood, they will tackle injustice in the society at every level, like the culture and the institutions. Mm-hmm. They're all over it. But back in 1972, they are probably a bit more timid, so they just made it a cat and mouse game between killer and killed. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm not criticizing the, the film on that, on that level. I understand uh, why they did that. And I agree with you that, yeah, it's a different culture for sure. And so, you know, they're probably like, well, even look at the cars, it looks like they're in the 1950s and the cars are driving. And culturally, they're probably kind of in there as well. They're still kind of a conservative culture. The, the women have to be covered up in, in all kinds of ways and all the scenes are in, you know, there's... Uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. And of course, they can't kiss. So there's always kind of, they almost yeah. kiss, but they, uh, they didn't. Yeah. Which is part, yeah. of, part of the tease. The semi-kiss. <laughs> and it's also, it's hard when a, a non-Bollywood watcher watches this for the first time. Like, oh, of all the movies we could have put forward for our representation. Yeah. Yeah, That'd yeah. be like if, if someone had never seen Western movies and you put forward, I don't know, um, some B-grade schlock movie from the 60s, you know, like... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so it's gotten better since then, but uh, yeah, there's, yeah. Anyway, no, no, you're, yeah, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you're right, and and this movie is charming in its own way. It's not, it's not, it's it's uh, an unsuccessful Dirty Harry movie, but it's a successful Coon Coon. So it's <laughs> its own, mm. it's its own thing, you know. Like it's, not, I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry, so I, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coon Coon, yeah. Is that like, like Bang yeah. Bang? Is that uh, what? what <laughs> It means blood, blood. Oh, okay. Like it's okay. Emphasizing the blood involved. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. But it's dripping in this when the graphics is dripping with blood. So yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, but also I feel like as a culture, India in the 1970s was less confident, so more derivative. Mm. Um, so maybe they're just yeah, they're just copying, not innovating very much. Um, yeah, so that's something you can probably see that a bit reflected in the movie. And I was just saying last in that last session, they could have Indianized it even more. Just dived into the village life um like i just said um they remade forrest gump this year and they've indianized forrest gump so instead of a, a shrimp company he's making an underwear company using traditional indian undies um that he's wearing uh, instead of um the vietnam war it's war it's terrorists on the pakistan india border so they could have like indianized this dirty harry more than they did but they chose to i guess copycat a little bit but take off the good stuff from yeah. the western version yeah, copycat for sure. Ashwin, you mentioned that they had to, the Jenny plotline, they had to get rid of AIDS, yeah? I wonder if that was just because AIDS isn't a, a death sentence anymore or if it was still yeah. a bit political to mention. Oh, I don't know if they had to get rid of it, but I just noticed, yeah, they switched the AIDS to, to cancer as well. Um, mm. Yeah, maybe it's an easier disease to deal with in that situation. Like, there's less stigma around it um, still. I'm not sure why they chose that, but yeah, I noticed that was one of the changes they made. Did they change the time period? Because the, the AIDS is sort of related to it, the time period in the film as well. So That's true. Uh, That's good true. point, yeah. Yes, yeah. But it was still in the early 90s, early to late 90s. So, yeah, that could be a reason why as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's um, yeah, it's interesting because, like, in the United States, like, when you think of, like, Dirty Harry coming out, the United States had already had, like, the psychic shock of Charles Whitman, Whitman who was, like, the first mass shooter, you know, like, this just normal person mm-hmm. without any warning, killing his family, then randomly killing strangers in a, in a clock tower and you know so you kind of combine that with the zodiac killer who was you know had been killing a few years before dirty harry came out and then charles manson which is all kind of wrapped up in that in in the character of, of scorpio in that movie all those kind of all that paranoia there like a you know random shooter a hippie and then someone who you know is uh you know killing was not just going to kill one person or even have like a sensible re- uh, plan or reason why he's killing people. It's just, you know, just a uh, mayhem. And so that's playing into all those sort of fears that were, that existed at that time in the States, which I don't 
know if that existed in India. They had their own fears. They had different problems that they're dealing with that, you know, so... Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's a good point. We didn't have... Gun ownership in India is nothing like gun ownership in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more densely packed society, so it's hard to keep secrets and hide away in the shadows, I think, in India compared to the US because someone knows something. So maybe there isn't that same serial killer um, epidemic in India. There's different kinds of violence, like interreligious violence or terrorist attacks, but mm-hmm. the lone serial killer picking people off, I, I don't think that's as common in India. So they were, they were newbies to that genre, I think, when they were tackling it. <laughs> sure, sure. So then yeah. they, you have to figure Ashwin, out a way to explain Ashwin, it. Ashwin, you mentioned, which is quite eye-opening for me, you said how a common trope was to have more maybe East Asian-looking actors playing the bad guys in a lot of early Bollywood, at least. I don't know if that stereotype still exists. No, I just thought in this, um, there's a dynamic in India. There's certain kinds of prejudices in the country. One is against darker skin. So you see that in the marriage ads, fair skin, bride wanted or something like that. So there's a dark skin prejudice. But there's also a prejudice against the northeast of India, where people are on the border of Tibet, China, Nepal, and they have more Asian, Asiatic features. And so um, they, yeah, they face a little bit of stigma when they come to Delhi and Mumbai, um, because India's so diverse in terms of the looks that people have from indigenous to Aryan to um, that Asiatic kind of look. You see a lot of looks there and the Asiatic look does face a bit of prejudice in the country. Even still today they tackle it. There's an Indian boxer called Mary Com who's from that region and she faced stigma. So there's a Netflix movie about her life. Uh, Mary Com is a boxing champion. Um, so yeah, it's still there and you still see it tackled in movies. So I, I just thought it was interesting that when they had to choose a Sierra killer, they went straight for that group of people. Ashwin, also, I've only ever really seen two Indian movies, and the one that made the biggest impression on me was Bandit Queen. Have you seen that? I haven't seen Bandit Queen, unfortunately, no. Okay. Vigilante sort of, I don't know if she's an untouchable or a Dalit or whatever, a southern Indian, but she sort of goes on a uh, a Kill Bill type revenge in the dunes, wherever the dunes are in southern India. And I wondered, do they often have killers as untouchables or Dalits and like, can you never have a Brahmin upper class as a killer? Is that something that still operates in Bollywood? Is the cast sort of a bit present in tropes? There's not a huge serial killer genre. So they do tackle Brahmin violence. I've seen a few movies now where the Brahmins are the bad guys. They're prejudicial. They're racist towards the untouchables. Um, They are the ones killing the lower cast. There's actually a Brahmin serial killer movie. I just can't remember the title of it now. Uh, where they just to keep the society pure, they kill anyone who um, marries outside of the Brahmin group or tre- threatens the Brahmin order. So they're not ha- they're not scared to tackle Brahmin violence in the society. Um, so yeah, that's I think it's almost that they they recognise the sins of the caste system, and so there's lots of quotas if you're Dalit or if you're untouchable in the society now. There's lots of movies that tackle prejudice against Dalits. I think it would be hard now to sort of have a Dalit serial killer trope yeah, in the movies. I think people would really pick up on that now. Um, yeah, so it might still happen, but yeah, not not for the serial... I don't see it paired with the serial killer theme. theme. <laughs> Surely a lot of murderers... You said that's not really a big thing in India, not like a... not to pathological levels, uh, but surely the iconography of the religion like i'm shiva the destroyer that would pop up a lot in sort of in people you know fruity loops that would go around killing people yeah well that was the one thing we talked about the thugs historically the, th- the word thug is about a bunch of bandits who would go around 
killing people um, and some of them would do it for Kali. There would be a whole ritualized killing of people. It would be about the goddess Kali and they would befriend the victim and hang out with them for a couple of days and at the right moment strangle them. It was always through strangulation when they didn't expect it and take all their stuff and run off. So Kali was a part of that. So she's the destroyer. Oh, well, she was a destroyer, but she's the, like a, plays a destructive role in the mythology. Um, yeah, so that's the closest I can think of between mythology and murder in <laughs> India. Dave, yeah. tell me about the family elements of this movie. Maybe you can help tell me what's going on there. So, as as I worked it out, the wife the wife wants our cop to spend more time at home, right? Yeah, reasonable. And maybe maybe give her some kids and stuff. Sure. And he has his extended family, but why his brother and everyone's they seem to are they praising him? His brother in law, right? It's his brother in law. Brother-in-law. Yeah. Is he sort of saying, you know, oh, don't listen to the women. You've got your duty. I'm very proud of you. Or <laughs> well, is there, you know, I, I, I couldn't. Yeah. It's a family of mixed messages. Because if we're in time, one moment they're criticizing and the next minute they're like coming to his defense. And it, it takes, tur- takes turns of criticizing and defending him. It's a strange. Uh, it's a strange dynamic in that family. So one person's criticizing and then they go, yeah. oh, but no, no, no. He's actually a hero and we should support him. But also you should need, need to spend more time at home. But oh, you're such a hero. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it's a weird, uh, uh, yeah. it's a strange thing. Uh, yeah, did the wife really want? Did the wife want? Did the wife want the others to move out, or just you know, I like this family we've got, but spend more time with me chastely in the bedroom, not kissing. <laughs> did she, she, she want a nuclear family or not? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, isn't it? Her, it's her family, right? That they're living with. I've forgotten. Ash, do you remember? Well, normally you move in with the man's family, so I'd have to double-check what happened in this one. Oh, okay. But that would be the norm. Yeah. Okay, okay. Maybe I misunderstood. Because he called, he was calling, so maybe it's his... But it calls him his brother-in-law in the in the subtitles, I believe. Yes. So, so it's uh, curious. It's, a, it's yeah. a curious situation. And it's just sort of weird because, like we were saying... You know, Dirty Harry, like the idea of Dirty Harry is the lone, the lone man, you know, the classic American idea of the, the one person who can solve all the problems or, you know, fight against fate or destiny or whatever. And then, uh, which is not a, obviously a popular concept in India where family is so important and so, and community is important because, you know, you need that to survive. You know, there's no... You just can't, like, decide you're just going to leave the village and <laughs> head, out and head out and have, like, a, mm. you know... Uh, so that's built into the culture that you need, everyone needs to work together, you know, so, and it's a good, it's a good system. I mean, I can see it here in, in where I live, like as a, how close they are and how successful they are as, as a unit, you know, whereas we all kind of atomize and, and don't, you know, don't, well, my family were like, we're like badgers. We don't even talk to each other. So we just, we have our own territory. <laughs> we don't cr- cross into each other's areas, you know, yeah. But, but uh, there, it, you know, and those, and you know, that with a culture that's super like closes family and stuff like that. They live together and work together and and you know put their money together and purchase together. They create this kind of you know like it's really successful working unit, you know. And so that's so you see that in this movie, they can't deny that as part of their culture, you know. And and so it make no sense to people watching the film that he wouldn't have a family or that he wouldn't, you know, like. So you have to have these things. But at the same time, they're trying to, like, borrow this idea of Dirty Harry. So they need to have conflict in this situation as well. Yeah. And so it's not really convincing because they're not... It's so half-hearted, you know, because they're not really... 
they don't really understand it. You know, they're just like, well, you marry and then you live with your family. That's how it works. Like, <laughs> where's the conflict here? You know, mm-hmm. like, and this wife should be agreeing with her husband. You know, this is uh, this. He should be going along with what he wants, you know. About exposition, at least two of the musical numbers, I think, they seem to be performed by minor characters, like the female dancers, the people that die. Is it unusual that you have minor can Like, isn't it usually the main characters should be singing to, to give exposition and advance the narrative? Like, shouldn't there be a song where Rekka's singing about how she's neglected by her husband or something? Yeah, well, there's two types of songs in Bollywood. One is exposition songs that help explain the story. And one is just what's called item numbers, where they're just there to be um, fun little interludes for that. Maybe you could sell the record or the DVD on the side of the movie. It's like a merch song. So, and often it might feature a famous person. So it's just an item number song. It doesn't really do much. And those are the ones I'll just forward oh. through. Even the songs, I just forward through in general. I might, I might have missed some exposition as a result of doing that. So, yeah. I don't think so. I think. It feels like feels like all the songs were item songs in this movie. Like they didn't really have exactly. They didn't really have much to yeah. do with the story. They were kind of like like the sequence with with uh, the policeman and, and Rekka, their song together. You know, it's it's just sort of a sexy we're wet song. <laughs> yeah, and then the other one is like the kind of a belly dance uh, f- uh, frenzy, and then yeah. the other one I don't know what the lady was doing. It's rolling around on the floor, <laughs> but you know they're they're all kind of fun in their own way. You know, like. Uh, I was really, I was really pleased to see in the uh, credits that uh, Asha Bosley, I don't know how to say her name, but uh, you know, who's the, of course, the mm. the inspiration for Brimful of Asha. She's in the, she's one of the playback singers in the, oh! in the movie. There. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, cool. Yeah, she sang like twelve thousand songs uh, for Bollywood movies. So was that Lata Mangeshka? Oh. What was the name you said? Uh- Asha, and then her last name is B H O S L E. Asha Bosley. Yeah, 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 that's right. Okay. Yeah. So oh, yeah, she's the, okay. she's the inspiration for that song, Brimful of Ash, at Corner Shop. Right. That is definitely my favorite Corner Shop song, Dave. <laughs> Absolutely my favorite. That, that is. I have a special... Yeah. Yeah. The, the first time I... Because I, I feel it on the radio here. And the first time I ever went on air, I needed something to calm me down, uh, just to feel familiar. And that's the song I played for the first few seconds on air, just to feel a bit of relaxation and calmness. Yeah. I have a special... Connection to that song. <laughs> nice, yeah. Well, Ashwin, you don't need the song. You just need a... What's it, what is it? You, you need a bosom need pillow. A bosom for a pillow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, classic. Um, well, I mean, you t- we talked last week about the eggs. I was trying to say, Ashwin, there must be something significant to eggs. Like, are they a lower caste food or is there some funny cliche about them? Maybe we could have used a musical number about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, dug, oh. I, I dug really deep. I went really, really sublineal, whatever the word is. And I thought maybe it's a nod to David Toshi, the real life detective that Dirty Harry was based on, because he was obsessed with whatever animal crackers are or graham crackers or whatever you say in North America. So maybe it was a nod to that. You buying that, Dave? <laughs> no, no. Anyway. That's the other problem with this movie, actually, is that there's way too many uh, comedy characters. Like, it's basically like. Uh, it's like what, what, the Lethal Weapon 4, you know, where you've got like Joe Pesci and Chris Rock. And he's like, this is enough. Like, you don't need this many people making jokes. Like, like maybe his mm. partner, that's it. That's it. We don't need to have then the, the his partner's girlfriend's dad. And then 
uh, everyone else who enters the scene is in some way a fast talking or an egg eating or whatever they're, you know, it's just, and that whole hospital sequence where the dad is eating the eggs. Oh my gosh. I had, I had yeah. to leave the room. <laughs> it's beyond. I'm going to, I think we'll leave this review part now with just a quote. This is someone, I think, on Reddit. It goes, here we go. It is a deliciously trashy little thriller with all the garish accoutrements we've come to love from 1970s Indian cinema. It turns that freaky, funky Bollywood funhouse mirror on an American classic. Okay, granted, the overwhelming feeling I brought away from it was a desire to watch Dirty Harry itself again. (laughs) But since when is that a bad thing? I think that's a very good summary. What do you guys think? I think you wrote it. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) Wow. I think um, it also has a bit of respect for that. Like he he enjoyed it in his own. Like we all had to do this because it's a long movie. There's a lot of dances. We all had to find something we enjoyed about it. Like Mm. you have to peel it away. So I think that's what he did as well. What I did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, the music was the best part of it. But yeah, if you're not a fan of the songs, then, then uh, yeah, it's, uh, I really liked it. In particular, I really liked the romantic song. Maybe it was a bit cornball and stuff. Yeah, but I quite it was, liked it. No, it was great. It was great. Yeah. And they're really wet. They weren't. They weren't fooling. Um, <laughs> Ashwin, Ashwin, um, have you seen a movie called Ah Gale Lag Ja? Ah Gale Lag Ja. It means come and hug me. Come and hug me. No, I don't think I have as well. It's, I missed a okay. few. When I went to Europe a few years ago, it was on. It was on Qantas. It was on the Qantas sort of um, movie selection. I watched it. Yeah. It's just like a really chaste, romantic thing that goes through a generation, and they're reunited at the end when she's got a kid, single mother, blah blah blah. blah. It's from the seventies, but it has a really identical sort of scene to that one with Rekka and and our hero the romantic one with the wet and stuff and the and they go to the hut you know and they almost kiss but don't it's got a really <laughs> yeah. really similar uh yeah. scene to that yeah they still do the almost kiss but don't as well i think the country's still maybe you know 65 percent rural and conservatives i think when that flips over to 40 percent rural then you're going to get full-on kissing and sex scenes and all the stuff that we love in western movies maybe or maybe they'll just it's become such a trope that uh it's be hard to get rid of it you know as a yeah, everyone loves it so much. They'd be like, "Oh, you can't have that. You can't have a movie and not have that happening." Yeah, or maybe that'll be like affect Western <laughs> movies, and you'll see like Kate and Leo nearly kiss, and that'll become a popular theme of Hollywood. That wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of fun. Like it's uh, you know, it's sort of a teasing thing that's uh, it's uh, it's appealing. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Do you guys have favorite remakes all time? I know Dave's talked about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Before. I think that's very good. Is that up there with one of your the ring? Yeah. Uh, Gore Verbinski's a ring. Uh, what else do I think is a good remake? Ashwin, what about you? What Dave's thinking? I haven't seen too many that I can think. Okay, can't use Forrest Gump. Um, no, I can't remember. I'm not a hu- I'm not enough of a big cinema buff to think about remakes that I made. Did they remake Seven Samurai? Because Seven Samurai is my favorite film, but I've heard the Magnificent best Seven. Magnificent Seven, yeah. I'll have to give that a shot. I might like that because I love Seven Samurai so much. It's shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never to spend three hours watching it. That's, that's, yeah. Seven Samurai is a great movie. Um, yeah, for me, it would obviously it would be uh, 
should I bother trying to pronounce it correctly? Yojimbo. Yojimbo remade is a fistful of dollars, I guess, would probably be up okay. there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's um, really good. And just for just for, just for a bit of comedy, they remade the Australian Paul Hogan film, Strange Bedfellows. Uh, do you know that one, Ashwin? They remade it yeah. as I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, oh, okay. <laughs> which was terrible. Oh. <laughs> of course, Yo- Yojimbo is a Yojimbo is an adaptation of an American novel, so it's its own. It's its own. Right. Because it's adaptation uh, of uh, Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest, so which became Last wow. Man Standing with Bruce Willis, which is not a good movie, but is also, I guess, could be a, considered Whoa. a Yojimbo. <laughs> yeah. Many thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks, thanks for joining yeah. us. And um, yeah, yeah, you'll stick around for the uh, audio commentary. Let's do it. Okay. Do the audio commentary now. Yeah, cool. The movie was a piece of shit. Yet this person recommends it. Tell me what is the message? Maybe that art is subjective. This was the equivalent of the "this one's on the house." The, the, that, the, that that guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I thought the same thing. Like he, he was a—he definitely had a darkness and the height and, and just the presence. As soon as he stepped in to, you know, beat up um, Scorpio the equivalent, I thought, "Well, this guy should have been the lead." Yeah, he would be great. So he's out the back of the bar in that scene, yeah. that big tall guy. Yeah, I thought he was good too, underused. I don't know if any of you have seen, um, I can't remember the official translated title, but it's better known as Turkish Star Wars, where due to a ban on certain American films in Turkey during the 70s and 80s, they'd locally remake blockbusters loosely remake them and for this one during an opening star fight you've got a blue screen in the behind the cockpits of the pilot of you know the death star and, and stuff like that when suddenly the film keeps playing in the background and then you've got instead of space and the death star you've got the inside of another cockpit for about half a second where it cuts off in the next shot so you know they just directly lift stuff what well, talk about a cock up <laughs> Trent, when you when you googled Powers, did Powers Booth come up? Could you hear me? Sorry, the did did, did Powers Booth come up on the Google search? Yeah, I did. He's a old TV star. On. No, he was the villain in Sudden Death. Oh, Van Damme, JCVD. <laughs> How's he going? Is he still doing that reality show? Uh, no, I think he finished that. I haven't seen him in anything. In a long time. Apparently it was a real train wreck. <laughs> a real train wreck. Yeah, you guys are good. Now tell us more about the episode where they stole your bon- uh, comic books. Uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, in one, one of my first days uh, when John and I were working uh, at Melbourne Airport... Uh, doing border permit checks I left one of my bags uh, lying around which had a fantastic book which was called Power Supergroup which was kind of a comic book interpretation of the Fugees and the Fugees is a very 
fond band of mine. Yeah, the, the AFP confiscated Ooh. and uh, said that uh, if I had not come back, they would have uh, sent in the bomb disposal robot to destroy the bag. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, one of one of our first encounters. Mm. Well. So I'll give I'll give my crappy my my crappy intro. And you too, Dave. Yeah. As you always do it so well. Great <laughs> fidelity. I've got mine going now. I'm recording now. Should I start? Is that we? Right. I'll do the same. Oh, we're waiting for people. Testies, testies. Darren Hinch, Hinch, Hinch. I'm sorry, guys. We're having a full top, 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 top tantrum here.